Hi there, we really hope you enjoy this teaching from the message. To find out more about all the exciting things we're doing and how you can get involved, check out our website, message.org.uk. I just want to say this pandemic season, I think it's been really hard for the saved. I don't know many, I don't have many Christian friends who are as alive for Jesus now as they were before the pandemic. That sounds awfully judgmental, but most of my Christian friends are sleepier in their walk with Jesus than they were before the pandemic. When we turned off some of those taps of being able to go to church in this way and go to this event and this thing, it just feels like we, we haven't been discipled in this nation to have a personal walk with Jesus. It's like when all of those things were turned off, people have gone to sleep a bit. But at the same time, I do not have a non-Christian friend who's not more interested in Jesus than they were before the pandemic. Now, they're not queuing up to surrender their lives to Jesus, but they're more interested. It's like this pandemic has sent the saved to sleep and been the start of a great spiritual awakening for the lost. And what we need to make sure is that we're awake. Otherwise, we'll miss what God's doing. And moving out of this pandemic, we can't go back to Egypt. You know, there's so much talk about going back to normal. What's normal? Stop talking about pre-pandemic and post-pandemic. Just live in your moment. Honestly, we start sounding like old people reminiscing about the good old days when we go on about what happened two years ago before this pandemic. Stop moaning that your church isn't full and start getting excited that the lost outside of the church want to hear about Jesus. But we have to accept our day. And what, what do we need for this season? I'll tell you something, we need more prayer. I love the fact it's been said here today, but no major move of God has happened without it being linked back often to three old ladies in a loft somewhere praying all day and all night. The other thing as well is we can change our style now. You know, we're all broadcasters. Before the pandemic, online church sounded as ridiculous as space travel. But now it sounds so fundamentally normal. It is the new, honestly, the online church, I know of at least 20 churches have appointed an evangelist as an online pastor to do a 30-minute offering because you're getting to people in their pyjamas who wouldn't come to church. It's the pre-alpha. Because I don't know about you, most of my friends, they, they would love Alpha, but only after they've warmed up a bit because they're not ready for it yet. And so we have all these options, these things. I think going into this pandemic, church was a set menu. Half 10 and half six, nearly everywhere. Everything to do with farming, nothing to do with Jesus. It used to take half an hour to get milk, half an hour to get clean, half an hour to get to church. And used to get the milk at nine and five. That's why church is half 10 and half six. It's got nothing to do with Jesus. But going forward from this pandemic, I think we become a buffet, not a set menu. It's time for the substance to remain the same, but the, the style to change. So, so what do we need in this season? I'm just going to read you a few verses. If you've got a Bible, you might want to turn it on or open it up to Luke 19. If there's any help, it's page 903 in my Bible. We're going to read from verse 41 of Luke 19. It says, As he approached Jerusalem and saw the city... He wept over it and said, if you, even you, had only known on this day what would bring you peace. But now it's hidden from your eyes. The days will come upon you when your enemies will build an embankment against you and encircle you and hem you in on every side. They will dash you to the ground, you and the children within your walls. They will not leave one stone on another because you did not recognise the time of God's coming to you. When Jesus entered the temple courts, he began to drive out those who were selling it is written, he said to them, my house will be a house of prayer, but you've made it a den of robbers. Every day he was teaching at the temple, but the chief priests, the teachers of the law and the leaders among the people were trying to kill him. Yet they could not find any way to do it because all the people hung on his words. 
There's three things in this passage I think we need in this new season. First is compassion. We really need compassion. Compassion beyond what we've had before. Jesus is at the top of the Mount of Olives. He's staring down. We know that from the Greek. You'll all know that from the Greek. He's staring down on the city of Jerusalem. He knows that in 40 years' time, because the people don't go his way but go their own way, because they follow their own political agenda, he knows they're going to destroy the city. But it's not judgment as the starting point, it's compassion. As Jesus knows that if the people just went the right way, it'd be okay. But they're going their own way. And so what he does is he falls to his knees and he weeps the tears of God. Friends, when did you last weep over the lost in your community? When did you last weep tears of compassion? It's so easy to see what's wrong with people, but our starting point should be compassion. You know, we need to ask God as well to let us treat everyone individually. You'll have all heard it, won't you? We've been in the same storm, but not the same boat. That's true. But the danger is we treat people how we want to be treated. If you don't understand any of that, just try that with old love languages and things. You know, you always treat someone how you want to be treated. Actually, we need to treat people how they need to be treated in this moment. I love it when Mary and Martha have both lost their brother, Lazarus. They've both been through exactly the same thing. But one's overwhelmed in their heart, the other's overwhelmed in their mind. One's confused, the other's emotional. One asks loads of questions, the other weeps. They've been through exactly the same thing. With Martha, Jesus answers her questions. With Mary, he just weeps. We at the message need to be a compassionate people that meet people in their need. And to those that need to talk to, we talk. To those that need to weep, we weep. But our starting point is weeping the tears of God as we ask to feel what he feels when he sees people that don't know him yet. I don't think we're even near to understanding what God feels when he sees the lost. I love it that, uh, I'm a keen runner, right? So I like running, but I love it that the only time God runs in scripture is the prodigal son. The only time. None of the rest of the time. You know, we rush around. You see, if you go to Jerusalem, you see American tourists running around where Jesus walked. Jesus doesn't run. He's not in a rush. He's always got time for people. But he runs after the prodigal. He really does. He runs after the prodigal. Where's our compassion for people? But also we need compassion for each other. There is a problem in the church. We are tired, we are weary, and we are more broken than we were before. We have shorter fuses. We're more likely to fall out. You're more likely to find yourself meeting with HR in the next year than at any other time you've worked here. Because we're in that place. We're carrying burdens. We're walking with limps. Show compassion to each other. I got married 21 years ago. I was only four. <laughs> and... Uh, when we did our wedding prep, they said, never go to bed on an argument. Say sorry, even when it's not your fault. I am so experienced in this. Because for 21 years, I've been forever saying sorry. And as of yet, it's never actually been my fault. <laughs> but here's the thing. What if the message trust never went to bed on an argument again? There'll be stuff in this room today. You've got something against someone else. They've got something against you. I tell you what happens to little things, they get big, they destroy you. It's a bit like tigers. You know, when you see a little tiger on the telly and it's getting fed with a milk bottle, it looks cute. It's like a moving cuddly toy. Look at that tiger, he's lovely. Do you know that tiger becomes a big dirty tiger that will kill you? When stuff's small, it doesn't seem that much of a deal. But if you don't deal with it and it's small, it gets big and it kills you. So we've got to have compassion for the lost, but we've got to have compassion for each other. The enemy will fight at the unity of this organisation. The enemy will attack at the heart of what you are, which is your staff relationships. What you need to do in that is show each other compassion. So even today, don't go to bed again with a problem with someone else. Sorry is a wonderful word. Unqualified sorries, though, 
don't do, I'm so sorry if I possibly hurt you and I didn't do anything wrong. That's not helpful. But we need to start with compassion for one another, but for those outside the church. Secondly though, righteousness. We need righteousness. This is a word people don't really like. You know, we can all think of righteous people. You're thinking of them right now, aren't you? You really admire their holiness. You just really hope you're not stuck next to one in heaven. You know, there's something about righteousness, but it's, it's about doing the right thing. In the passage, you had to pay your annual temple tax. Why Jesus is the perfect lamb who takes away the sins of the world is before he dies on the cross, you took an animal to die in your place if you could afford one. And that animal would be killed. It was an act of worship. And people think Jesus turned the tables because he doesn't want them selling in the temple. That's not what's going on. The problem is, is the poor would try to take their own animals and they'd always find a reason why the poor's animal wasn't good enough. Whereas the rich would be able to take their own animals. So the poor were forced, if they were going to take an animal, they were forced to buy one at the temple. And then the sellers would charge the poor 10 to 15 times what they charged the rich. So Jesus is furious. He's like, not on my watch. He throws the tables over. He says, you are not exploiting the poor in the very act of worship they're seeking to bring. His heart for social justice says, this is wrong. And I just think sometimes for so many of us, we become a Christian, we have this little medical procedure done. They take all the blood out of our veins and replace it with antifreeze. So we never get cross. We never get cross about anything. We just go along with it and say, that's fine. Yeah, actually, what do we need to speak up about? We need to ask the Lord, help me see with your eyes. So I can see this, take away my cultural anaesthetic because your culture takes away your ability to see as the Lord would want you to see. You know, I can tell you everything wrong with American Christianity, but I struggle to tell you what's wrong here because I'm part of it. We need to ask the Lord, help me see what's wrong and stand up. What's happening in your world that needs to change? We're living in the middle of a secular tsunami, yet secularism offered no help in the middle of a pandemic. I did a Radio 4 debate with two incredibly clever secular academics. They were really, really boring. They talked for ages about all the problems. Then they came to me and I was asked, what do you think, Reverend Calver? I said, I just think it's really devastating that in the midst of the time of most hopelessness in the nation in my lifetime, these two dear friends had no hope to offer anyone. My whole life is committed to hope. Hope is a name, his name is Jesus. Jesus defeated death and rose again that you might know life. And I almost got to a gospel appeal and they cut me off. <laughs> but friends, we need to speak up, stand up, stand for justice. And for some of you, it'll be running message groceries. But for others, God's going to plant something in your heart where you say it's wrong. How on earth can women and children be trafficked for sex in the UK still? That's wrong. How can we talk about young people the way we do? It's wrong. In, in my little world, I mentioned conversion therapy earlier, right? Every example of conversion therapy you hear on the BBC, I think, is abhorrent and is illegal already. But we're having to fight in the corridors of power because they're trying to ban you preaching in a church what it says in the Bible about marriage. They're trying to stop you praying for a 16-year-old who doesn't want to be sexually active. They're trying to make it illegal for you to do that if they have same-sex feelings. That's wrong. So however misunderstood I'm going to be by everyone else externally, however many hate letters I get to the EA, however much stuff comes my way, I am going to fight for the fact that as long as I am alive, we should be able to preach scripture in church. And 
Because you know, they come for conversion therapy, then they come for conversion. Don't forget that, friends. The, the people against us within the church believe that any prayer with a desired outcome should be illegal. That's not just conversion, that's healing, that's everything, because that harms people. What people don't realise is we're broken because we don't know Jesus. It's quite simple. But I tell you what, I don't care what this nation says to me, I will fight for that. And we will fight at the Evangelical Alliance. This sounds like a political speech, doesn't it? But we will fight at the Evangelical Alliance for you to be able to preach that Jesus is the only way to God and never get into trouble for that. Just don't do anything stupid, will you? Let me, let me just put that. You know, you hear these stories about street preachers getting arrested, right? It's not usually because of their content. Be sensible. Wise as serpents, gentle as doves means absolutely preach the full counsel of God, but don't be a moron. Let's go for it, though, eh? You know, when Mother Teresa lived in Calcutta, she got 5,000 letters a week from people saying, can I come to Calcutta to serve? She'd send back as many pre-printed letters as they could saying this, open your front door, there's your Calcutta, change it. We need compassion, we need righteousness. And thirdly, we need courage. We need courage. I was at the last new wine before it went online because of lockdowns and stuff. I was there speaking. And I'm in one particular meeting where the speaker at the front says, come to the front if you want to be prayed for to stand out and be distinct in culture. I'm like, I don't often respond to talks, if I'm honest. I'm usually giving them. It strikes me as the height of preaching arrogance to preach and be the first to respond to your own talk. But I'm at the front of this tent. And I'm at the front of this tent and um, someone's praying for me and I feel the Lord say to me, you need to be braver in this next season. I look around the tent, forgive me, I'm very sinful. I look around, I see 6,000 people. I'm like, I'm doing all right compared to this lot, Jesus. I feel the Lord say, do not look sideways, look upwards, you need to be braver. And I stand at the front of this tent in a proper weep. Not little tears, proper tears. You know, the kind of tears you only cry when a football team is stolen and relocated to Milton Keynes. Those kind of tears. And I'm proper, proper, proper crying. And it's not because I'm not prepared to be brave. I am, but bravery is hard. Let's get rid of a myth. Brave people aren't born. You're given an opportunity to be brave. You're not born brave. You know, I think Esther was talked about this morning. Esther's the bravest person in scripture. She risks everything to go and see the king. But she's given an opportunity to be brave. So I'm there and I'm like, all right, Lord, I'll be brave. I tell my wife, Anne, I tell no one else. It's the last day of the school holidays. We're sat with our kids. Got two kids. We're praying with them. My wife, Anne, is holier than me, so she introduces practices in the home. And so we're praying, and then we sit in silence with our kids, because prayer's not a monologue, it's a conversation. So we sit in silence. Does God want to say anything? After about two minutes, my daughter, Emily, says, Dad, this is really weird. Jesus wants you to be braver. I'm like, all right, Lord, I'll get the message. It was that that led me to leading the Evangelical Alliance. Why? I needed the Lord to remind me. But it's not just me that needs to be braver. We all need to be braver. We need a time of courage. And when I took on EA, I said, we're going to be braver than we've ever been in our history. But we're going to be kinder as well. Because no one's going to say they're horrible people. We're going to be the kindest people possible. But boy, are we going to be brave. And at this point in the passage, the authorities could not arrest Jesus. The people hung on his every word. But every time he spoke, he took his life in his own hands. That's how brave he was. Verse 47, our courage should match that of the Lord. You know, we want Iranian, Iranian results in this country with UK comfort. You can't have both. If you want the church to grow, it has to be on the margins. If you want the church not to grow, in fact, the secularists, this is what they should do. They should make Christianity the most central, cool, acceptable, good thing to do. There should be social benefits all over the place for being a Christian. They should give us all OBEs and knighthoods for what we do. Oh, sorry. They should give us all... <laughs> 
They should make, I didn't even do that on purpose. They, but they should make us, we should be the heroes of our culture. Then I tell you what, the church doesn't grow. But you put the church to the margins, you put the church under pressure, it grows. I wish it wasn't that way, it is. Crack on, we're on the margins, let's see some growth. But we have to wake up. We have to release everyone as witnesses. We have to hold on to the end of the story. You know, however many bad things happen between now and the end of time, wars, rumours of wars, pandemics, whatever. However many good things happen, healings, miracles, revivals, however many World Cups England win, and not that spherical, not that sort of rugby nonsense, football. You know, however many of those, however many good or bad things happen between now and the end of time, Jesus wins. And his church have got to be courageous living in the middle of the story, waiting for that. So we move into a new season. We ask the Lord for compassion for one another, but even more so for the lost. We ask the Lord for righteousness to see with his eyes, not our cultures. And we ask for the courage to keep going. I'll tell you why. Three years ago, I was convinced we were living in the greatest moment for the gospel in my lifetime. It's been trumped. We're living in the absolute greatest moment right now. Absolutely. I was asked to write the foreword to a book from a theologian from All Souls Langham Place. That's half of John Stott's old job. And this book was on evangelical church history, 1900 to 1950. It was a hard read, right? I am much more message-shaped than EA-shaped in that sense, right? So I'd Google thesaurus out to understand it. It was like, what is this book so deep for? But there was one bit that stuck with me. At the end of the Second World War, church attendance in the UK was off the charts for 18 months. After 18 months, it went back down below pre-Second World War levels. The diagnosis in the book is this. The church tried to get itself safe, okay and happy again and by the time the church had sorted itself out the lost had moved on friends we must not let history say the same of us we have not lived through a war well perhaps but we've not lived through a war yet we spent most of our time on our sofas or serving people but every night on the UK news excess deaths in the UK that has not happened in my lifetime till now people are living with mortality salience and awareness of their brokenness they might die one day before the pandemic, you start feeling old, you get a new moisturiser. Now people actually think about death. They've lived in the shadow of it. So people are asking the questions we answered for 30 years when they weren't asking them. So that prodigal you've given up on, have another go. That friend that you've tried so many times, try again. Because the ground has never been as ripe for harvest as right now. And it won't be in church buildings. It'll be over garden fences. It'll be in streets. It'll be in communities. It'll be at sports clubs. But have a go. Because we could learn habits now that would transform the nation. And when the ground's harder again, the habit sticks. But we've got to also encourage those around us. Forget evangelism if we have to. Just talk about witnessing. Whatever we have to do to empower people, now is the moment for everyone to open their mouths about Jesus. You know, two definitive examples in my life. Number one, I live in northwest London, so I pay too much for everything. Including my haircut. It's not a hard job and it's not done well, but it's expensive. So I've gone to the same barber for six years, so every time I think, if I'm paying you that, I'm going to have a right go at telling you about Jesus. So I've sat in his chair and had a right go for six years and got absolutely nowhere. After the first lockdown, when I first went back in, this is what he says, I am so pleased to see you. I've never wanted to talk about God so much. Now, he's not yet surrendered his life to Jesus, but last time I went in a month ago, I talked about Judgment Day with him somehow. Um, are you signing up to an online alpha? This guy was absolutely cold. Or, 
or another one. And I try to make these simple little examples because this is not necessarily about stages. This is about every person telling every person about Jesus. I was at a funeral and this guy comes up to me. He's about 25. This big, strong, muscly bloke. He walked towards me. It was like looking in a mirror. And he comes towards me and he starts having a go at me. You and your wife used to do that program on TBN. Why have you stopped it? My mum loved it. Where's the program gone? When's it coming back? I said, I'm really sorry, mate. We can't do everything. I'm really sorry. No, when's it coming back? My mum loves it. It's gone. Where's it gone? Really sorry. We can't do everything. He said, anyway, he said, I got so bored during the second lockdown that I watched four episodes of my mum. And at the end, I gave my life to Jesus. Now, let me just explain. These shows were not good. They were not evangelistic. You're not allowed to do gospel appeals because of Ofcom. And they weren't even particularly descriptive of what, they just weren't the kind of thing that would lead someone to Jesus. But right now they're enough because we're living in a different day. Friends, here's the thing. We need compassion, righteousness and courage, but also we just need to go for it. Do not judge the post-pandemic era by the pre-pandemic rules. This is ground zero. We start again. This is early church moment. The ground is ripe for harvest. People do not know the message. Can you imagine having lived through this without Jesus? It's been hard enough with him, hasn't it? It's time for us to go out. Do not spend the next 18 months getting popular, getting safe and getting happy again. The church must not look after itself. Yes, we're in pain. Well, then let's evangelise with a limp. I don't trust anyone without a limp anyway. If you haven't got a limp, you haven't had any pain. If you haven't had any pain, you either haven't been alive or you're utterly oblivious to the reality of life. But let's go out with our limps. Let's open our mouths. Let's share hope, dreaming big dreams, compassion, righteousness and courage. Friends, we're not going to mess around. We are time poor and passion rich. If you want our Lord to give you a fresh anointing for this fresh season as a witness for him, if you want to see things you've never seen before, if you want to dream dreams you've never dreamed, just stand up, will you? Let's pray. Don't forget to check out message.org.uk to find out how you can support our work or even get involved with one of our teams. We also have another podcast called The Flow Podcast, where we share stories and testimonies of the amazing things that God's doing in people's lives. Search for The Flow Podcast on iTunes or Spotify or wherever you get your podcasts. Thanks for listening. 